Welcome to Blackhawk Church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team here uh, at Blackhawk Church. Welcome to all of you in the room with me right now. Some of you are watching on screens in different places, different venues uh, we have in different sites, and some of you are online. Welcome to those of you who are watching, whether you're in Dallas, Denver, or Dodgeville. Uh, good to have you with us. All right, everybody, go Packers. Yeah, yeah. See a lot of green and gold here uh, today. So they win, they're in, right? Awesome. They play the Bears, right? Easy. Yeah, there you go. All right. Hey, Happy New Year. Uh, also, on behalf of the uh, speaking team here, uh, yeah, 2024, unbelievable. So uh, we're excited about uh, launching this year, brand new uh, series. You know, and it's kind of hard uh, for me, as I'm kind of nostalgic, to think about this is the beginning of my 30th year of preaching messages here at Blackhawk Church. I mean, where has the time gone? It's gone so fast. Yeah, it's okay. I didn't mean for that to happen. Uh, I love my job as a emeritus pastor. I love not being in charge. And pray for Matt. He's got a really uh, hard uh, job. I've done a lot of talks here at Blackhawk, and uh, some of my uh, favorite talks are the talks where I actually talked about uh, the cats uh, that we used to have. And some of you can remember uh, our cats' names. For those of you who don't remember those talks, here a picture of the cats that we used to have. Uh, this is John Calvin uh, on, the, on the right, and this is Martin Luther uh, right here. So uh, we gave them nicknames. So Martin Luther, we called Mitchell, great cat. And John Calvin was uh, uh, kind of arrogant and pompous, so we gave him a PhD, called him Dr. Calvin, and he liked uh, that a lot. So we say, Dr. Calvin, and he, we say, John Calvin, and he was just like this, Dr. Calvin, and he like, like, work up. <laughs> so there you go. So uh, yeah, we don't have our cats uh, anymore. Uh, they died, went to cat heaven or wherever cats Go, actually, I don't know about Dr. Calvin. I don't know if he, <laughs> whatever. That's the line I will get emails about right there, right there. <laughs> so about the time that our cats uh, died, uh, our daughter and her husband, who were living in uh, Virginia, uh, decided to move back uh, to Madison. And uh, our daughter was pregnant with uh, their first child, or first grandchild. So this is like seven years ago. And so um, while we're thinking, my wife is thinking, you know, like, wow, we're going to have a, a grandbaby crawling around on the carpet and everything like that. We've been living here a long time. So maybe we should, like, clean the carpet. Thinking, yeah, cool, new baby, clean the carpet, great. Let's get somebody to clean the carpet, and that's great. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't like just clean the carpet. It was like, maybe we should get a new carpet. Like, okay, all right, maybe, I get that, okay, so that'll be really clean for the new baby, crawl around, cool, I'm, I'm good with that. Well, you know, if we're going to get a brand new, you know where I'm going with this? If we're going to get a new carpet, you know, you've got to, it kind of damages the walls a little bit, we might as well paint the walls while we're doing that. I'm thinking, okay, going to paint the walls too. And you know, there's a couple of walls that we don't really like. So let's get rid of those walls. And all of a sudden we're in a brand new like remodel process. So like it went from like, we want to have clean rugs to like a whole new remodel. And remodeling is costly, super frustrating and messy, messy, messy. 
How many of you know what I'm talking about? Show of hands. Yeah. So you've painted a wall, you've taken down wallpaper, something like that, and all of a sudden. One thing about a remodeling process, I would never go through it alone. So we got a contractor to come in, somebody that we knew uh, from Blackhawk Church, and this great guy, his name's Bob Ames, and here's a photo of Bob right there with a very powerful tool in his hand, which is this giant uh, crowbar. So uh, Bob, so some of you are thinking, I got to get his name because I want to do this. So you can't do that because Bob and his wife, Susan, a few years ago moved to Colorado and they may be watching right now. Hey, Bob. And Bob's saying, why didn't you talk about me when I actually lived in Madison? (laughs) (laughs) That's what you're saying, isn't it, dude? So uh, at any rate, so Bob was great. And we got to this place where he has this big tool and he's like, um, you know, we need to poke a hole right above the fireplace. Could it? put some backing in for like a TV and stuff like that. So he looks at my wife and he says, you want to poke the hole? And my wife, she grabs that bar and she starts wailing off at that, uh, at that wall. And miraculously, I actually got her permission to share that photo with you right now. <laughs> that is my wife. That is one happy woman right there. And she's just kind of wailing off uh, at that wall and kind of deconstructing it. So some of you are thinking, this is kind of interesting, but what in the world does this have to do with God, the Bible, or Jesus, or anything like that? We are beginning a brand new series. It's a six-part series, and we're calling it Under Construction. And I love this concept of talking about under construction because all of us get that it's kind of a process. When, everything, when anything is under construction, whether you've done it in your house or whether you're driving on the roads in Madison in the summertime and all the roads are under construction, or whether you go to a store and it's under construction, all of us get that it's frustrating and it's really messy and it takes a lot of people, but it's worth it. I mean, it's worth it at the end. Streets look different, that store looks different, your house looks different, and you're going, good, I'm so glad we did it. But it's a difficult process, and it's very messy. One of the things I like about this um, logo is that it kind of just points to the process involved. And if I could just talk about the three words we're going to talk about in the series, these three words are construction, uh, deconstruction, and reconstruction. Very simple. So construction is like, well, you're building some part of your faith. Some, maybe you're new to the faith and you're starting to understand things about God or the Bible or Jesus or Christianity or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you learn some things that kind of, I don't know, pokes a hole in what you had built. And you're like, huh, didn't know that. And it causes you to doubt what's really going on with whatever you built. How you guys doing? And then hopefully somebody, sometimes people just like walk away. But sometimes somebody like Bob Ames or somebody who can help you comes along and says, no, 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 that's okay. It's just part of the process. And let's actually reconstruct something that's a little better and stronger than what you actually began with. Here's a really very simple illustration because 
we believe on the teaching team, this is a normal part of spiritual transformation and everyone goes through it. So simple illustration. When I was a small child, when we had any kind of meal as a family, my dad thought we should pray before we ate. If my dad was hungry, it was a quick prayer. Like, thank you, God, for this food. Amen. Let's eat. I mean, really like that. So why did dad want to pray before every meal? Because he was trying to teach the kids that uh, everything comes from God. Food we have comes from God. So that's what I constructed in my mind. Then I went to the store with my mom, and she was actually buying food. And I found out about stores, and I found out about farmers. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. The food doesn't directly come from God. Like, it comes from the store. Why don't we at the mealtime thank God for farmers and stores and stuff like that? And I didn't actually articulate that as a kid, but I started to go, huh, really? And I started to kind of dismantle what I was thinking. And then I learned, no, no, God does use farmers and stores, but it's a bigger part of the process. Ultimately, God's responsible for everything. And so if we could put my little illustration uh, up here on, this is kind of fitting into our metaphor here. Construction, belief, food comes directly from God. That's my belief. I started to deconstruct that, dismantle that. Uh, What about farmers and stores? Well, what about that? And then reconstructed it with something that was actually better. Uh, Ultimately, food does come from God, but not directly. Now, I could give 100 illustrations like that, and we all get it. It's a normal part of spiritual transformation. We all go through this. And so in this series, we're going to talk about some things that are very difficult, but we're going to do it together, and we're going to be honest about poking holes, but then hopefully we'll be able to reconstruct some things. Another reason I'm excited about this series is that we're going to talk out loud at Blackhawk about this term called deconstruction. And if you listen to Christian podcasts or buy Christian books and stuff like that, you know, this, is, this term is like all the rage. Lots of people are talking about deconstruction. Let me stop for just a second. For those of you who are in the humanities or in the academy, when you hear the word deconstruction, you think of the French philosopher Jacques Derrida, who died in 2004. And the whole thing that came out of Derrida about the instability of meaning and communication. When we talk on the teaching team about deconstruction, we're not talking about that. That's like an academic thing. And for those of you who know what I'm talking about, when I say deconstruction, it's like a hyperlink in your mind to Derrida. We're not talking about Derrida. When we talk about deconstruction here, we're using it in the larger sense that kind of the church world is kind of using the sense. Church world often borrows terms from the academy and don't use them exactly like the academy uses them. Trust me. Here's what we mean by a deconstruction. It's the process of dismantling one's belief. It's uh, taking a crowbar and poking a hole in what you thought was pretty solid, but you're kind of finding out it's hollow. That's what we mean by deconstruction. And it happens all the time. Now, whether you like that term or use that term or not, you have to agree with me. 
and the teaching thing that people are doing this, poking holes in their faith about God, Bible, Jesus, Christianity, and many times just walking away from God. Here's what A.J. Swoboda, one author, writes. Deconstruction is the new norm. Nearly 60% of people raised in Christian churches deconstruct their faith following high school. Faith deconstruction isn't a one-size-fits-all experience, nor does it always entail walking away from one's faith. Deconstruction hits close to home for many of us. When we think about children that we have raised who are adults now and they don't have anything to do with Christianity, they'll maybe go at Christmas and Easter to be polite to us. That's it. They have deconstructed their faith and they've walked away. Or our grandchildren, who we wanted to be followers of Jesus, but they're someplace else now with God. Or our friends that are close to us, or our spouses, or it might be our parents, people who used to be strong in the faith. Something's happened. They've poked a hole, and there was nobody around to help them. And they have walked away. It happens by the thousands and thousands and thousands. So as a teaching team, we just said, hey, let's begin 2024. Let's just go through, go right towards a hard topic. Let's go towards this. What are some of the things that cause people to poke a hole in their faith and then just walk away? Let's name those. We came up with 10 or 15, but we we're only going to do a six-part uh, series. So here is where we're going. Today, I'm going to introduce uh, the topic. And then next week, uh, Michael Knapp said, we'll talk about what, what if I love Jesus, but struggle with Christians? Like, you know, Jesus, yes, his followers, not so much. That causes a lot of people to just like walk away. How are you guys doing? Am I yelling? Are you guys following me? If I'm yelling, it's because I'm passionate about, uh, about this and about the way our church should be about these things. January 21st, Pastor Matt's going to talk about suffering. Boom. <laughs> that probably causes more people to walk away from their faith than anything else. And then on the 28th, uh, I'm going to talk about science uh, and faith. I'm actually going to have uh, two uh, believers uh, at Blackhawk who are practicing scientists uh, on the platform uh, with me. And then uh, Charles Yu is going to talk uh, about the Bible and how uh, people poke a hole in the Bible and go, well, what about that? And walk away. And then on February 11th, Adam Penning is going to talk about the exclusive claims of Christ. Jesus makes exclusive claims. And many people, when they wrap their mind around that, they go, what about all these other people? They walk away from their faith. This is where we're going, you guys. We're going to go right at very difficult topics because we think it's an important part of our spiritual transformation process. Deconstruction doesn't always lead to destruction. My wife didn't burn the house down. It led to better things in our home, actually. And we believe this process can actually help us grow in our faith. 
So deconstruction, reconstructions found all over the Bible. Lots of stories in the Old Testament I could go to. And there's lots of stories in the New Testament I could go to. But I got like 20 minutes left. So let's just go to one story in the New Testament. Take your Bibles if you want and turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. This is a story about John the Baptist. Here we go. Matthew 11, 1 through 3. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, and this is John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come Or should we expect someone else? (laughs) Stop the presses. What? What is happening? This is John the Baptist. Literally, he's known Jesus all his life. He's known Jesus when he was a child. John the Baptist's whole life is centered around the fact that he believes that Jesus is the actual Messiah. And now he's in prison, and he is doubting the very core of what John the Baptist, he's doubting his own identity by questioning this. Did you see that? He says, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? (laughs) This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist before he was in prison, he, he baptized Jesus. <laughs> he baptized Jesus. And what happened when he baptized Jesus? Sky opened up. Dove came down, heard a voice. You know, this is my son. Here, look at this passage. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Not a bad thing to put on your resume if you're looking for a job. (laughs) He saw the dove. He heard a voice. He's the one who goes around and tells other people, this is God's chosen one. Here's here's one verse for that. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. This is the guy. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is John the Baptist. But then he gets thrown into prison, suffers, and he's calling the whole thing into question with this sentence. Are you the one who is to come? We should expect someone else. If that's not a clear statement of doubt, I don't know what is. How you guys doing? You follow me? This is John the Baptist. And if we could kind of put it in our little metaphor, he is deconstructing. His construction was Jesus is the Messiah who will bring the kingdom immediately. Jesus will bring righteousness and justice on the earth. Captives will be released. This is like from Isaiah and things like that. John knows that. 
mean, he's deconstructing that. But the kingdom has not come. Is, is Jesus like the Messiah? Is he actually the Messiah? So John sends his disciples to Jesus and asks this question. Now, how do you think Jesus would respond to that? I mean, how would you respond if one of your very best friends questioned your identity, like who you actually were? He's done a lot of things with John the Baptist. How's Jesus going to respond? Well, Jesus responds like Jesus basically says, Calm down, I'm the Messiah. But he doesn't say it that way. He says it the way Jesus does things, and he says it differently. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus is... This code language, he's speaking Isaiah, Jeremiah to John the Baptist's disciples. He said, all these prophecies about me, that is, this, this is what you're seeing. I'm the guy. And then he says one more thing about John the Baptist. He says this. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Far, far from Jesus being, who would doubt me? I can't believe John, all those things I've done for John. And now he's doubting me. Far from that. Jesus says, you know, all the people that have ever been born, nobody's greater than John the Baptist. When John doubts him, somebody say amen. That's the kind of Jesus we have. Jesus is not afraid of the doubting deconstruction process. Bring it on. It's okay. And actually, John, this is a great, great man. So what do we learn from this narrative about Jesus and John the Baptist? Here's the first thing we learn. Construction, deconstruction, reconstruction, it can happen to anybody, anyone. It happened to John the Baptist, you guys. <laughs> wow. You may be new in your faith, or you may, you may have been preaching at Blackhawk for 30 years. It could happen to you. Sometimes people come up to me and they go, Pastor Chris, have you ever got to a place where you like just doubted, doubted your everything? I'm gonna just look at them like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> they don't expect that, they don't expect that answer. They expect me to say, oh, no, I've never doubted. No, 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 no. I've doubted. I doubted the whole thing, the whole thing. And they're like, whoa. <laughs> this is terrible for you to say it. Now, this is what I want to do at that moment when their shocks on their face are going, whoa, you're a pastor. You doubt the whole thing? <laughs> I, what I want to do, and I don't do this, but what I want to do is go read the Bible. You know, that's what I want to do. You read the Bible. Abraham. Moses, David, John the Baptist, Peter. These are all, these people are like, what? And they've all gone through this process of doubt and deconstruction. I'm just a little pastor. Sure, I've gone through it. It's a normal part of spiritual transformation. How are you guys doing with that? 
Yeah, I don't want to hear much of that. Yeah, you okay with that? Yeah, it's just normal, you guys. It's part of life. Second, deconstruction can come from mistaken expectations. We could have called the whole series mistaken expectations, but we thought under, under construction is probably a little bit better. So let's look at John the Baptist. He has a mistaken expectation. John the Baptist, his expectation is if Jesus is the Messiah, I should not be in prison. The deconstruction then happens, maybe Jesus is the Messiah. Because his expectation is that there is only one coming of Jesus. One coming of the Messiah. One advent. And this is it. He is here. He's doing all these things. And so all these, all these prophecies should be coming true. Like righteousness should happen. Justice should overwhelm the earth. I'm in prison. I should be getting out. But there are actually two advents. He was mistaken. His expectation was, yeah, there's one advent. No, no, no. There's actually two advents. Jesus came the first time as a lamb to be sacrificed. He's coming again as a lion. And then there will be justice everywhere. So he has a mistaken expectation. It happens a lot uh, in our uh, world. We'll have a mistaken expectation. We will say something like, hey, here's a, here's a normal thing for today. Expectation, people who call themselves Christians follow Jesus. Deconstruction, but many times Christians don't follow Jesus. So that's a mistaken expectation. People who call themselves Christians follow Jesus. <laughs> My response to that, re read the Bible. Really? In the Bible? His own 12 disciples didn't follow him all the time, okay? So there's lots of people in the New Testament. They know about Jesus. They don't follow him. The, 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 the occasion of most of the letters in the New Testament are about followers not following Jesus. So where do you get the expectation that just because you call yourself a Christ follower, you should be, you should be following him, but Christians don't always follow uh, Jesus? How you guys doing? It's really quiet in here right now. What else uh, do we learn? We are most vulnerable to walk away from the faith when we go through deconstruction process alone. What John the Baptist did was huge. He did not go through it alone. You guys, he, he is questioning his own identity. Like, what have I been doing proclaiming he's Messiah? And now he shares with his disciples, go take this message to Jesus. Did you see that in the text? Go back to Matthew 11. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one to come or expect someone else? He didn't write it down on a piece of paper, close it, give it to them and say, don't open this. Don't open this. Don't look at this. Just give it to Jesus and walk away. He shared with his friends. I'm questioning whether Jesus is actually the Messiah. That's a bold move. That's a huge move. He's like, I don't want to do this alone. We're most vulnerable when, when we start poking holes in the structure 
of what we believe about God. And we don't share that with anybody. I can't tell me how many, how many years, how many times I've been with a grieving widow or widower or someone who's just lost someone close to them and they are really struggling. And they whisper in my ear, can I talk to you alone? And then they look at me and they say, Pastor Chris, I am really struggling. Why would God? Why? So praise God that they felt like they could talk to somebody. Because when we don't share the serious doubts that we are having, that's when we're most vulnerable to walk away. We want to be a place where we can share. That's what happened um, in December when we had Blue Christmas here in this room. And it was just a lamenting service. And we had about 300 people here. And the whole service was one of just lament and crying out loud. Why? 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 We had no peppy music. It didn't end on a high. It was just a cry. And we lamented together. That's healthy community. John is a healthy person. He's sharing with his disciples. When we go through it alone, and we don't share, When I was beginning ministry about 40 years ago in Shreveport, Louisiana, there was, a, there was a pastor in the area named Lonnie. And Lonnie kind of took me under his wing and kind of mentored me, and I appreciated it. We'd both graduated from the same uh, school in Dallas, and uh, he just kind of helped me through ministry. And I appreciate it. We had coffee from time to time, and he'd been in ministry for a few years, and he had some tips for me, and it was just great. Had someone I could talk to. And one day, on my office door, I got a loud knock, and it was Lonnie. And he had a, a pickup truck full of books, his library. And he said, Chris, I am getting out of ministry. I don't believe any of this anymore. Here are three of those books. I keep them in my library. They're good commentaries, but they're old commentaries. I don't really use them, but I keep them in my library to remind me of Lonnie because his marriage was dissolving and he didn't think he could talk to his elder board about it because, man, he could lose his job. He was starting to question things about the Bible. He didn't have anybody he could talk to because he could lose his job. And so he just buried it. And he walked away from everything. And these books remind me, yeah, books don't always help. Do I have somebody I can talk to? Do you have somebody? Do you have somebody that you can talk to? John the Baptist had somebody he could talk to. He could talk to his disciples. The construction, deconstruction, 
reconstruction process. It's so messy. And it can be so frustrating. It's a normal process. And if you go through it with the help of other people, it is totally worth it. Totally worth it. So in our little construction process that we had back in our house, uh, we came to uh, a time when uh, Bob was taking off uh, the mantle, actually dismantling uh, the mantle. Here's a, a photo of the dismantling of the mantle. When Bob started this process, he, that's my son-in-law, uh, Josh, and then Bob, and he, said, he looked at me and he said, hey, uh, do you have any old wood? And I thought, oh my gosh, I've got some old wood. Literally, like, like 60 years ago, when my, my dad was really into wood, my dad learned in Southern Illinois that there was a house that had been constructed in the mid-1800s during the Civil War that was kind of being deconstructed, and they were like giving away planks from the floor of that house built in the 1800s. So when I was just a little boy, my dad gathered that wood, and then that wood was like holy wood, like I could never touch that wood. And I wanted to do different projects with that wood. My dad said, don't touch that wood. My dad said, someday in your life, you'll find a project that's perfect for that wood. And I thought, my gosh, I got some wood in the basement. I brought it up to Bob, and I said, can you work with this? It's black walnut, you guys. If you don't know anything about wood, it's like, that's like wall well, primo. And Bob looked at that black walnut, and he says, I can turn that into a mantle. And here's the mantle that Bob made. Does that look better? It's a messy process. Don't go through it alone. Get help. And when you get help, things can be much better. Your life with God can be much stronger. We're your pastors. We've seen a lot. And we want to help you through this process. We've put together some tools for every one of these talks. You can access the tools uh, right here with this QR code. Every one of the talks is like a standalone talk and a standalone subject. You might not have any problems with science and faith, but you might have a lot of problems with suffering or vice versa. Every one of the talks has a set of resources with them. We're your church. We want to help you. Listen, you guys, those of you who are community group leaders, heck, you could be on our staff. You could be an elder. You could be going through something that you go, I don't ever want to talk about this to anyone. I don't want to be shamed. I don't. Look, you guys, we want to build a church that John the Baptist would feel comfortable in. And he goes, I can express my doubts there. So if you have doubts, about your faith, I got one thing to say. Welcome to Blackhawk Church. We are so glad that you are here. Do not go through this process alone. This is where we're going for the next few weeks. We're going to talk about what if I love Jesus but struggle with Christians? What about suffering? Science and faith, are they opposed to each other? What about the Bible? The exclusive claims of Christ. This is where we're going. We have tools for you. We want to be here for you because we believe 
that we want to be the kind of church like Jesus was the kind of Lord who welcomes people to poke holes in the wall. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for an opportunity to be a part of a loving community. We pray, Father, that as we take steps, all of us take our own steps in building our own faith, that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit go through this process to where we end up restructuring our understanding of the Bible or you or whatever so that our faith in you is stronger. We pray this in Christ's name and for the sake of his reputation. All God's people said.